This episode of Tend Her Wild is being sponsored by Revival in downtown Iowa City. Revival is a woman-owned apparel and clothing store for women with a curated selection of new and used vintage clothing. A place where a small group of badass ladies can help you own your own personal expression, no matter the budget. Revival is independently owned and operated by Sheila Davison, who's a fierce advocate for women's health rights. Inspired by the question we ask each of our guests, we partnered with local jewelry designer, Made Community, to create a special earring design called the Door Collection. Look for the new collection at RevivalIowaCity.com or in person. Which door did you go through to become a wild woman? You can wear the earrings that match that. Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Welcome to Our Wild listeners. Today, Kate and I are going to dive into a topic that we ask almost every single one of our guests about, which is those first 10 years. So Kate, I want to pose the question for us to explore today is what do you wish you would have been told or you would have known at 10 years of age? It's like if you could go back... And talk to your 10-year-old self and like, just give her a little nugget of wisdom. What do you wish you would have been told? I think I wish I had been told to keep listening to myself, that I was on the right track, that I was enough, that um, I didn't have to be perfect. Ugh, yes. Because I think that 10 really was the time when I started to live outside my heart and into my head and look for external validation and signs and approval, um, which I think happens to so many of our young girls. And then it's hard, then you spend the rest of your life trying to get back to your heart and mm-hmm. back to what's you. So, um, you know, we had Dejan a few weeks ago, the whole idea of this Rebel Girls I wish someone had told me, keep being a rebel girl. Because mm-hmm. I think I was early on. I was very adventurous and curious. And um, and then I started to conform. Yeah. How about you? Well, I have a very distinct picture in my mind of me at 10 years old. Because I would have been in fifth grade at that time. Mm-hmm. And the picture is of me... In these like plaid pants, I just see if I can find it, and a white shirt and a hat on a tie, because I think that was, well, I don't know if that was the fashion in fifth grade, but I was into ties. I had two ties that I like would wear a lot, and I had penny, penny loafers on. Did they have pennies in them? Yes, of course. I had short hair that I had cut off, I think the year before. 
and I was wearing a crossing guard, like orange thing, because I had been chosen to be a crossing guard because clearly I was responsible. That is a major elementary honor. I know. Right. So much that my mom came by and took a picture of me in my crossing guard, you know, uniform. So I think about that picture on so many levels. And I know this is actually being informed by this sort of deep dive that I've made into studying the goddess and the feminine and I'm teaching in this course right now called uh, Reclaim. But I see how clearly in fifth grade I was on some subtle level like rejecting my feminine. Like I was going towards achievement, towards um, structure, towards perfectionism, towards pleasing. And I had a male teacher, first oh. male teacher in fifth grade, right? But I, I, I'm so curious about like even how I was presenting physically. Mm-hmm. I had long hair probably until third grade, long kind of thick curly hair third or fourth grade, and then I cut it off. Do you remember why? Do you remember anything happening? I remember nothing. I just remember my hair went short, and I did not have long hair again until I was 40. You know what? 30 30 years of short hair. And I can't even see you with anything That's but That's what everyone hair. says to me now. They're okay, like, now I we really cannot. need a picture. Okay, I'll, I'll yeah. throw a lot of pictures in of me and my short hair. And then I'm wearing very masculine, a tie, penny loafers. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. right? So what I wish I would have told myself at 10 years of age is to not reject my feminine, mm-hmm. to hold fast to my long flowing hair and my nail polish and my artistic ways and my creative mind and my little spidey sense, intuitive, magical thinking and my storytelling and my writing. Like I really wish that I would have just said, keep fostering that Betsy that the pleasing and the achievement and the straight A's and it's kind of overrated. Mm -hmm. Don't lose your, your wild essence. Um, And actually I, even as we're talking about it right now, I, I just have grief that like there comes a point, came a point in my life. It sounds like there came a point in your life where like we just really start, to split from our feminine in an effort to be accepted and to do well. So we cut off ourselves from our feelings and our intuition and our body to, you know, fit into this patriarchal culture. Yeah, I, I absolutely know that success for me was very tied to the masculine. Yeah. Sports for me, that was mm-hmm. success. Um, Achieving in school, getting the A, um, you know, going on to college. I I always said about myself, I was thinking about and longing for the next thing and the next step in my life before I got there every single time. Mm. Like when I was in high school, I was like, I got to get to college. When I was in college, I was like, I got to get to law school. 
Mm. You know, law school, I got to get to the job, like, um, which is really me not just being present, if I'm being Mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. Um, But also this internal drive to make sure I made it to the next rung. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to like will it into existence by being ready for it before it was time. Yeah. And that's how strong my masculine was. It was like. But this is, I think, what every young girl learns is that if she is going to get ahead, if she's going to play in life at all, she has to get ahead and get up that next rung. And she has to kind of do it before the boys do. Yeah. Because, you know, like it's harder. It's harder for us. And so you, you know, like that, that inner drive in some ways takes over and, um, and I think it is just a part of our culture, but it's, it's cut so many of us off for so long from this other aspect of ourself, which is this beautiful, intuitive, creative in the moment, emotional part of ourself. Yeah, I think you and I have talked about how I've definitely been in the process of reclaiming my feminine or reconnecting and and um, plugging back into that and trying to find more harmony between both because we need both. But I've been very much out of balance most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, a story keeps coming up in my mind as we talk about this. When I was in law school... I got to my second year, and in second year, you interview in the fall for jobs um, following law school, and I guess maybe it was the beginning of my third year, so I was going to complete school in May, and then I was looking for my first job, and I met with the career people, and Joe and I had gotten married in September of that year, uh, right, you know, in the beginning of my third year of law school, which was really fun to try to do all that, Um But I met with the career people. I had a couple interviews coming up with big firms and I sat down and it was, you know, law school is a big place, but people knew each other and they're like, oh, congrats. You just got married. Yeah, I, we did. And Joe had gone to law school before me. So they knew Joe. Yeah. So they knew Joe. And so I sat down and they said, okay, so you have these interviews coming up. Um, you know, you really definitely should not wear your wedding ring. What? Mm Mm-hmm. So it was in 1996. Oh, I have a sick feeling in my stomach right now. And I remember being like kind of in shock. But quickly I was like, well, shit, they're right. I won't get hired. They'll think I'm going to, you know, have children and leave. And so I did not wear my wedding ring. And I had to consciously like not bring up anything about myself that might have alluded to the fact that I was married. Oh my goodness, Kate. So that whole process for me of interviewing, it was such a, you know, it's such a masculine profession anyway, and the patriarchal system of the law and everything. It's just, you know, it's like the oldest profession, mm-hmm. uh, I think next to prostitution. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was about as, unauthentic as I could be. But you had to be like a man. I did. I remember even picking out the suit that, you know, yeah. looked as, I, I wore, I think I wore pants. Um, I remember checking to see if I had a um, 
tan line. <laughs> oh my goodness. With my ring. Cause we'd gone on a honeymoon. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it just, um, so yeah, that, that moment for me, uh, I mean, I've talked before about just having those moments of like, this is, this is where I'm supposed to Something be off here. Yeah. Um, but I was pretty disconnected to my own intuition about things. And I'd gone down yeah. the road. I was so far down the road that like it felt. But that's what happens is we have to split from our intuition. Yeah. So I think we have to understand as women that for us to have to find power in a patriarchal system like we live in, you either have to become like a man, which is essentially what you had to do, right? Mm-hmm. Pantsuit, law, or we have to become liked by men. And it can be and or, right? Mm-hmm. We not only have to become like a man, competitive achievement, right? Right. Or we have to become liked by men. That's how we establish a sense of power, safety, security, success in this culture. Yeah. And I think being liked by men is you cannot be a threat to mm-hmm. men. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can be smart, but not too smart. Not too smart. Be very, yeah, judicious in how you present yourself because um, you don't want to hurt anyone's ego. Because right. if that happens, then it's all over, right? Right. Yeah. It kind of it does make me a little sad to look back and think. Um, but I also believe things have evolved a lot um, when I look at my own daughter and her ability to. Mm. kind of navigate things differently and mm-hmm. and and know herself more so yeah can we talk about that because um so in my study of all of this there's um, a concept called the father's daughter and um several authors have written about it i feel like it probably goes back uh to jungian psychology but it's this idea that um, young women who have a very close relationship with their father, or it could be a highly conflicted relationship with their father, they um, idealize them. They idealize the father. They identify with the father. Um, it means they start to identify primarily with masculine values like achievement and success and goal orientation. And so it, it becomes like they want to, consistently please their father, which means they have to go after the ambition and the success. Um, often at the the downfall of their own creativity, their feminine. own feminine, right? Yeah. Do you relate to this? I do. I mean I'm the oldest of three girls and I adore my dad. Um he was all he was a great, you know, dad for daughters, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know how we talk about that now. Um, so he was very loving and, and ironically, I think a lot of my pressures internally came just from being the oldest and expectations were high for me. I was, I didn't have anybody ahead of me. So I was setting the example, Catherine, you're mm-hmm. setting the example. Um, Catherine, they're watching you. That's right. <laughs> Your sisters are watching you. Yeah. And so, um, so I internalized a lot of that. My dad never was like, you need to go to law school. He never pushed me toward his profession ever. My mom encouraged me because I think she saw me as Mm -hmm. that I would do well in law and was very supportive of that and kind of had, we had a lot of those conversations, but my dad never did, but I'm sure. But she still wanted to please him. I wanted to please him in some way. And, um, and I did have the opportunity to work with him one summer, Mm. which I will always treasure. 
um, I knew it would not be a long-term thing, you know, but um, it was like an internship over the summer and um, it was a lot of fun. And, and we can, you know, it gives us a common language mm-hmm. to talk a about connection. a connection. So, um, so sure. I think there's probably an element there of me wanting to, I worked him. for my dad one, you? one summer. How'd that go? Oh, I hated it. Oh, not because of my dad, but he, he worked in computers oh, and it was God. like so far, like sitting in a, in a cubicle working with code and computer I was like just was so far from oh, who I wow. am as a human being did so. he know that do you think he was like she's miserable here well well you know I don't it might be some of this father's daughter thing that like I was clearly did not enjoy it did not like in fact I think I worked for him for two summers probably because it was a job and I could make money and um but like I wouldn't have told him that that I didn't like feelings. it because that, you know, I'm this is life's work, right? Need to please him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but to get to our daughters, cause you feel like, um, it's different and I am glad to hear that. And I want to hear more about it because I have to admit, I'm watching my, um, 10 year old daughter start to reject the feminine and embrace the masculine and again, this is not men and women. This is the energies, what we talk about so often in this podcast. And I have to tease out whether this is like the classic idea of like when I in graduate school was studying psychopathology and every diagnosis I learned, I'm like, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's me, right? Like, mm-hmm. whereas now I'm studying this sort of depth psychology around uh, the heroine's journey and this idea that all women reject the feminine and embrace the masculine as a right. way to get ahead. And so I'm like, am, is this really happening to my daughter or am I just imagining it? Because <laughs> I'm reading about it right now, but I see, I see how, um, yeah, it's like, it's almost like girls pick up that to get ahead in life, uh, you know, men have more freedoms or they, they make more money or they get to do what they want. And so of course, like on some unconscious level, we just start to, you know, veer towards, I want to be like them. And mm-hmm. my daughter has two older brothers who are great and she adores and, and she's, um, following, and in she's following in their footsteps. And I'm trying to trust that this is, this happens to all of us. And according to the heroine's journey, there reaches a point where we realize like, Oh, this isn't fully me. Right. Like you've gone so far I've, the other way. Right. Like yeah. I need to re-engage and reunite with my feminine qualities as a way to be more balanced and more happy in life. So I also see it's, there's a cyclical piece mm-hmm. to this and she's probably, but me watching her you're like, sort of like, Oh no. wait, she's rejecting the feminine. Even though I know it's, it's kind of part of this heroine's journey that everyone goes on. If you live in a patriarchal system like ours. Yeah. Yeah. I think for Meg, it probably, she had, she had that happening. She was very high achiever. Mm-hmm. something happened to her about junior year where she was planning her own kind of future. Where do I want to go to college? We started having these conversations and she in high school always talked about going to medical school. I think we talked about this with her maybe a little bit, but um, she had aspirations for that and she got her CNA in high school and started, you know, working as a CNA and doing a practicum and loved it. 
And then she did a couple job shadows with actually some female doctors um, in women's health. She loved that, but she realized her gifts were kind of the one-on-one patient interaction. Mm -hmm. And then she also observed kind of the lifestyle of the physicians, Mm -hmm. being on call, having their own children, struggling with like, you know, I mean, they were pretty open with her about the challenges. And she said, I don't want that. I don't wow. want that. I don't want that. Even if that's supposedly the highest rung, that's that's not what I want. Mm. And I remember having to really hold back because I knew she was more than capable of doing it and that she would be an amazing doctor. But I I remember even talking to my mom about it. I'm like, we've got to let her yeah. make the call. And um, support her and maybe have the conversations and be there for her, but let her explore and make those decisions from, from her heart, which is what she ended up doing in college. And, um, now she's working as a nurse and, and loving it. And, um, and interestingly, I don't think she looks at it. I think she looks at it as, like, uh, like an empowering decision. Yeah. Like I, I, made, I made that decision. I took hold of and, and yeah. decided this is better for my overall balance in terms of work yeah, and, and I want family, family life someday. And, and, and so I'm going to be in a position and she liked the diversity of nursing. I could do this for a while and then maybe I'll come over here and do this. And, and mm-hmm. so she had, she was very well, um, researched on the why and, my job as her mom was to trust her mm-hmm. um, and not question her, but just support her. Yeah. And so, you know, as Greta gets older and she starts to explore things and, um, you know, I think just you'll sense when they're like true to her mm-hmm. and then being able to kind of, I always say you kind of pour gas on that fire. Like, wow, mm. I see how much you love that. Yeah. Yeah. What could you do with that? Those yeah. gifts, those talents. And yeah, cause women need to hear that. Yeah. We don't always see those in ourselves. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so both of us have a sense of what we wished that we would have heard at 10. Mine was like, stay with your intuition, stay with your feelings, you know, stay with your creativity. Yours was. Yeah. Not, not be focused on perfection to. Um, to also stay with your feminine and you don't have to be the best at everything. You just need to be you and you're enough. I think you're enough. Yeah. That's what I needed to hear. So I feel like whether you have a young daughter at home or you have young women in your life, one of the messages we can continue to give them is to, to really be themselves and that there's more, to life than grades and perfectionism and achievement that part of life is also being present and smelling the roses (laughs) and finding joy and being creative and, you know, feeling feelings and, um, you know, trusting. I think the, the real beauty of the feminine is this sort of trust in the flow of life versus, as you said before, I would know my next plan. Where am I going next? What am I doing next? Like really helping our young women be okay in the mystery of life and that you don't always have to have the plan. Sometimes that's when things 
really beautiful come to you. I think right. about one of our guests, Ray Zaragoza. I remember how she she didn't go to college. She didn't have plans. And because of that, her world opened in the direction she needed to go. I think the more we can encourage curiosity and, f- mm. and following kind of those things that come up, the the opportunities and, and you know, allow young women to be seekers and support that and not always maybe know the answer, but being open, yeah. I, I think then they don't get locked into those boxes at such a young age. They stay open and curious. Then their path unfolds before them Yeah, in a much more beautiful way where I feel like at our age, we're kind of like, we've been in the box, we've checked out all the sides, we've opened it back up and we're like, hey, what else is out here? Ready to bust out of it. <laughs> and and yeah, for me, just living curious has, even in my later years, has been a true gift mm-hmm. because that's, I find way more magic in that and and joy and, and mm-hmm. purpose. Okay, so I have homework for all of our listeners. I want you to find a picture of yourself around the time that you were 10 I want you to put it somewhere that is a place of honor, right? It might be, you might, you know, put flowers around it or stones or just like really honor your 10-year-old. And then whatever you would tell your 10-year-old. So for me, you know, I'm telling my 10-year-old like, stay in your creativity, stay in your daydreaming, right? Like, just like be in the moment more. Those are the messages that my 48-year-old self needs. So like really talk to her 10-year-old picture, tell her what you wish you would have known at 10, and then apply those messages to yourself and let us know how it goes. I love it. And if you're really brave, you can post your picture on our Instagram page or share with us. Share with us. Yeah, Um, we'd love to hear from you. So um, reach out. Love this. Thank you, All right, thanks, Kate. Have you been inspired by Tend Her Wild? Well, Kate and I would love to meet you live and in person for a rewilding yoga meditation and healing retreat in one of our favorite places, Nosara, Costa Rica, May 20 to 27. If you're interested in getting away and doing some deep transformative work with us, check out our show notes for how you can sign up. Come rewild with us in Costa Rica. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week. Bye.